Welcome to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle, the only podcast where you'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made more money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more, go to writeyourbookinaflash.com. Copyright is something that authors should be concerned about, or think they know something about, aren't quite sure about, and have a million questions about, but they don't know where to turn. On today's podcast, you're going to see exactly what authors need to do, what you need to do to protect yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Janelle, the author of Write Your Book in a Flash. I'm the author of more than a dozen books that have been translated to six languages. I can be your ghostwriter, developmental editor, or book coach if you need one. And I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Barbara Ingracia, who will talk to us about all the ins and outs and the do's and don'ts and fears and traps that involve copyright. How are you today, Barbara? I'm fine, thank you. And thanks so much for inviting me, Dan. My pleasure. I know you have this long bio, and I'll only just say that you've studied the murkiness of copyright laws with the Center of Intellectual Property at the University of Maryland and the Special Libraries Association at Duke University and the Berkman Center at the Harvard Law School. However, you are not an attorney, so you actually speak like a real person, because whenever I speak to an attorney about copyright, the answer is usually well, it depends. Well, that is true. And, and I'm not an attorney, but I have learned to, to say that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're not going to talk. We're going we're gonna to talk about some real definite things here. So everyone who's listening can walk away with, with the correct advice on what to do to protect their intellectual gold mine, which is what you call their work, isn't that? Tell us a little bit more yes. about what, you, what, what is the intellectual gold mine? Well, anything that you're creating that is original authorship um, is your intellectual property and it's valuable. You may not realize it at the time, but it's valuable. And so I call that your gold mine that you are building and then that you want to protect. Um, Copyright protects original works of authorship that are fixed in a tangible medium. So that means once they're written down or on a hard drive or a thumb drive, video, audio, those are tangible medium. Um, Boom. These days, that means it's copyrighted automatically. Gone are the days when you had to have a C in the circle, although I, where where is it here? I recommend it. Um, And you don't have to apply to the U.S. Copyright Office to get a copyright. The minute the ink dries on the paper, that is automatically copyrighted. Copyright applies to works on the internet, too. And it seems counterintuitive. You know, it's floating floating around out there. Uh, Why would they put it out there if they didn't want me to use it? And I can right-click and copy and paste. So... What's the big deal? Well, that can be an area that people fall into and may learn about copyright in the digital age only when they get a letter from an attorney who says, you've used my client's work without permission. And that may often be an image. Uh, You do a search on the internet 
for any kind of image. And boom, you get hundreds and thousands. And you say, oh, I like that one, boom. And you take it. Well, that may be all rights reserved. There may be some rights reserved. It might be no rights reserved. It might be in the public domain. But it's important to assume that any work that you find on the internet is protected by copyright until you can determine otherwise. And certainly that's important for authors to know because doing nonfiction work, you're doing a lot of research, you're, you're building on others' ideas. Ideas are not protected by copyright. That's a, that's a plagiarism thing, but certainly you always want to footnote and cite others' ideas, what you have found. Um, and copyright gives the copyright owner the rights to, to copy, reproduce, distribute, adapt, perform publicly, or display publicly. So that is different from uh, taking ideas and not giving credit for them. Another thing that the copyright owner can do is license those rights out to somebody else. And that's often what you're doing if you're uh, working with a journal or a publisher. Okay. Let's take a step back and do one thing at a time because you've given us a lot to digest here. So let's break it down to bite-sized chunks. Okay. You said we don't actually have to do copyright. It's actually copyright. So we are protected is what you're saying. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, there's protection and then there's protection. I always advise putting a C in a circle and the year and your name or whatever name you're going to register it under and typically all rights reserved. That's a heads up to people that, oh, this is protected by copyright. If they don't see that C in a circle, they might think, oh, it's free. Um, so that is a heads up. And oftentimes it, it just keeps honest people honest. That's good to know. Now, should you go to the U.S. Copyright Office website and register your work for maybe $35 or $50, whatever it is, is that an additional protection? Is that needed? Definitely. If worse came to worse and you had to file a lawsuit, you must have registered it prior to being able to file a lawsuit. Now, a lawsuit is you know, kind of far down the line, and it may not be worth the time and money, but that does give a public record of your claim to that content. Okay. Now, I have heard, I'm sure many people on this who are listening have heard of what you call the poor man's copyright, where you print out your your book or your script or whatever, you mail it to yourself, you don't open it, but now you have a postmark date that shows that you have completed this work by this date. Is that a real protection or not? No, that doesn't have any legal standing, especially in the digital age. You say, well, now how could anybody open the envelope and mess with it? Well, you know, there are ways. So <laughs> it, it's not to... Uh, maybe before the internet and whatnot, maybe uh, that gave you a sense of, of protection. 
but it's the registration with the US Copyright Office that really uh, makes the difference. And as you point out, it's not an expensive process. I do help people with it, but it's also something that if you can do your own taxes, you can probably file your own copyright. Many people, um, you know, during the pandemic have realized, oh, I have a book in me, or oh, I have a program, I have a course in me. Uh, those things should be protected. Um, you know, they are your gold mine. So that is a good step. That is a good step to take. And copyright lasts now for the life of the author plus 70 years. So you're leaving a legacy to your descendants. Um, and it's probably the, the least expensive uh, insurance policy that you can get. So something could be protected by copyright for 120 years, depending on how old you were when you wrote it and how long you live. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other question that some of my clients ask me is, should I trademark my book title or should I trademark my intellectual property? So what's the difference between a copyright and a trademark? And is this something that authors should be concerned about? Well, that is a very good point. Typically, the title or short passages like that don't qualify for copyright. Um, if, you have, if you have a brand to protect, that's where trademark comes in. So we all know the Nike swish. You wouldn't be able to copyright that, but it's certainly a recognizable trademark. Um, so you would want to do it for maybe your business name or a program. Typically, uh, book titles don't fall into that area. Now, maybe if you have a series uh, like the, all the dummies books are probably, you know, a trademark. But generally, um, that's a separate thing. And that takes time to get that registration and money. Um, some would advise the minute that you start a business and your, your, your authorship work may be a business. Um, some would say, go ahead and get that right away. Others would say, well, wait until that's the name or the logo or the tagline that you really want to use because there is expense involved. And I always advise that it be, you do it with a trademark attorney who's been around the block because it can take 18 months and uh, sometimes there's pushback, you know, and so you really want an attorney involved who can handle all that for you. Great advice, thank you. Let's go back to the idea of using other people's content in your work. I'm talking about, let's say, you're citing statistics from a report or two or three lines from a play or a poem or someone else's book. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about whether that is kosher, what you can do, what crosses the line, and what protections you as an author uh, can have uh, so you don't get sued when you're citing someone else's work? Well, attribution, citation is a given. Always, if it's not your work, if it's not your words, um, that 
needs to be quoted. Now, whether or not there are copyright issues, uh, that goes back to our favorite, it depends. How much are you using? Is it the, what's your purpose? Um, uh, how much of the work? What's, what kind of work it is? And if it's a, a nonfiction published work, that, that's going to be uh, seen as something that's, that needs to be protected. Um, what's the effect of your using that information, that passage, on the market for the original? So way back when, when we had paper workbooks, um, someone might say, well, you know, I need to really stretch the budget. I'll only buy a couple of copies of the, of the workbook and then make copies of those pages for the class. That had a very negative effect on the market for the original. So that that's a, an important example. Um, education often is seen as a fair use exception. And that's what really I'm talking about is fair use, where you look at the factors of the, the purpose, the nature of the work, the amount that you're using, and the effect on the market. We see all kinds of things about, oh, 10% of this and 25 lines of that. And those are guidelines. They are not in the law. There are no percentages, number of lines in the law. So uh, those are the kinds of things that, that go to court. And in fact, fair use analysis is a, a combination of science and art. And it's only determined finally by a judge in a court. One of my favorite stories, and you will be able to relate to this, um, President Gerald Ford was uh, contracted with Harper and Row in the late 70s to write his autobiography. And he did. Harper and Row contracted uh, licensed Time magazine to do a couple of excerpts. Well, a couple of weeks before the book was released, the actual book, physical, and you know, we're talking the 70s here, so we're talking physical books. Um, the manuscript was leaked to a magazine called The Nation. They printed, hmm, I don't know, 2,500 words, which isn't a lot from a book that thing, uh, and 300 some words were the heart of the work. They were Ford's explanation for why he pardoned Nixon. You know, the, much of the rest of it was, was public information, you know, presidential papers kinds of things. But this was a creative expression. Why did he pardon Nixon? Well, when that leaked out, even though it was a very small amount, it was the heart of the work. That's what people were waiting for. And the uh, book was then not successful. Harper and Rowe, of course, sued Nation uh, Magazine and, and uh, won. But Time Magazine said, we're not doing the rest of our, our contract for the excerpts. Um, so even a small amount can be an infringement that it's taking the heart of the work. 
Okay, thanks for sharing that story. Uh, Barbara, you have a free gift for all of our listeners. Tell us about that. And the link will be in the show notes below. Yes. Again, we've been talking about your gold mine. So I have a, a guide for you, five steps to guard your gold mine. And so these are five areas to be considering uh, to protect this, this valuable work that you've put your heart and soul and blood, sweat, and tears into. And so I, I uh, welcome you to, to take a look at that and see, see what thoughts that brings up. Great. Thank you for joining us today, Barbara. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to the Write Your Book in a Flash podcast with Dan Janelle, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. If you're ready to take your next step to write the book that can transform your business, I invite you to schedule a free, no-obligation consulting call with me by going to writeyourbookinaflash.com. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.